Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. A lot of people live in denial because they think that to be realistic is to be depressing. I'm Dr. Mike, host of Going There. It was the first song where I wrote about how I felt like my depression was killing me and I didn't want it. Going There breaks the stigma of mental health issues by having real honest conversations with your favorite musicians, including Alessia Cara, Lizzie Hale, Jewel, Jason Isbell, Gerard Way, Lauren Gray, Shamir, and Barty Strange. There was something there that was so raw where I was like, wow, I can't believe someone would say that. Let's go there on Going There with Dr. Mike, brought to you by Sound Mind Live and the Consequence Podcast Network every other Tuesday, wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everyone? Welcome into episode 192. And this episode is brought to you by Alesis, in particular, the Alesis Strike Multipad. So if you haven't checked this thing out, this is a strong contender for the professional level uh, multipad. It has nine trigger pads. It's got onboard, onboard sampling capabilities. It's got an onboard looper. Uh, it has a RGB backlit trigger pad, so you can assign different colors to each pad for, you know, some one-shots can be one color and loops could be another color. It's got tons of onboard memory. Um, it's got a, the screen itself. You can actually zoom in and see the waveform for editing. This is a really powerful unit. We're going to dig into it more later in the episode as well in upcoming episodes. But again, this episode is brought to you by Alesis. Now our intro beat is brought to you by Paul Kirch in Tucson, Arizona. So this is a cool one where he's played everything as a single track. So even though there sounds like there's layers on here, this is no looping. He's using a 1996 Rogers Holiday Kit. He has the Artom Black Hole mufflers on the drums. He's using Zildjian Low Volume Cymbals. He's playing with Promark Lightning Rods. Um, he used the, uh, this is something we haven't talked about, the Sabian has a mixer and microphone kit. So it's the PDM drum mixer and three of the Sabian microphones. So this is, this is Paul kicking it off and let's get the show rolling. Okay. Okay. Right off the bat. I think there needs to be something said. Uh, everyone knows me pretty well. They know who I am as a person. They follow me probably online and, and are in touch with what I'm going through. I need to put out a massive apology to our listeners and most importantly to Yo Snickle. My microphone was backwards for the last episode. <laughs> And I am so sorry that I pontificated so hardcore about Yost Nickel and his amazing playing with the wrong side of my microphone facing my face. Please awesome. understand, if you know what a large diaphragm condenser looks like, <laughs> it kind of looks the same from the front and back. I didn't, and I have it in cardioid pattern, so it only picks up from one side. Uh, I felt terrible. Yeah, I mean, I gave it a, a good college try, but there wasn't much I could do to fix that bad boy. <laughs> <laughs> that was a rough text to get. I mean, you and I have, like, completely just train wrecked a few podcasts where we just <clears throat> forgot to press record. Let's say more me than you, but <laughs> but that one where it was like, that was such a great episode. I felt like our passion bucket was full. We were there. Everything was good. 
And then you te- sent me one text, bro, was your microphone backwards? <laughs> it's like, I don't know. It's a black microphone. How? <laughs> I don't know. I'm you sitting in a dark a big room. X, a white X on the front. I know. <laughs> oh, so bad. So bad. I'm even staring at it right now like, no, it's good, right? It's good. Oh, yeah, it's man. good. And it, of course, that was the one where we were bragging about being the number two drum podcast in the world with our high quality. <laughs> we are so professional. Here at the Monitor Podcast Mike and Mike, I mean, we're just badass. Yeah, my bad. My bad. Yeah. So to our listeners, <clears throat> I apologize. Uh, thank you for suffering through that. To Yost Nickel, who had his shining moment on the podcast. <laughs> He's like, here's Mike Dawson talking in absolute clarity about me, and here's Mike Johnston struggling not to drown in a uh, kiddie pool. I feel like I should call you out here. I'm still using a $99 Zoom H2 that I've had for probably 12 years. Bro. What are you using, my, Mike? My, <laughs> my strengths are my weaknesses. The fact that I will never, ever be satisfied with anything is a weakness for me because I could easily use – you know that I have the same thing that you have. Yes. Then you also know that I bought the nicer version of it because I was like, well, like, this can't be good enough. <laughs> I've got <laughs> – I'm not using a very expensive mic, but yeah, it's about a – I don't know, $600 microphone hanging in front of my face. That apparently could be hung in front of my face backwards. <laughs> Running into Pro Tools, you're just going straight to, straight to a memory straight card. To disc. I love it. Well, uh, whatever, man. That's, you know what? The reason you and I do this podcast together is because we're not the same. That is very true. We are same in all the important ways, I guess. <laughs> yeah, we're human. That's about like where we you play and I drums. <laughs> cut it off. After, but yeah, we're humans and we play drums and we struggle. I, w- I would oh, say yeah. that this would be a really lame podcast if every time I admitted to a struggle, you were like, "Yeah, I don't know what you're talking about." Well, I just and, sit and down and it the flows. Fact is, I mean, it probably sounds like I pick on you more than you pick on me, but I think it's fair game that that we're both not. There's no ego, like. No, if, no, if no. any one of us got offended by picking on each other, I think we would have stopped two years. It ago. would be over. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> After the first episode, no, uh, that's. It, it's funny. I I've noticed through my class at uh, the the CrossFit thing that I do in the morning, which is the same people every morning. That's kind of my role. I I, I enjoy. Admitting to weaknesses, showing my flaws because it makes everyone else feel like, okay, so I'm not the only one going through this. And it's like, yes, you know, I try my best. Honestly, I try my best every day for every day to be the Super Bowl. And sometimes I turn the freaking mic around backwards. (laughs) Okay. It's like, but the thing is, even my biggest failures come from effort. I'm still trying. Yeah, right. It's never because I mailed it in. That's never (laughs) been something that anyone's ever accused me of. I never mail it in. I just try so hard that I ruin the damn thing. (laughs) You just tried yourself into a circle. (laughs) That's a... That's kind of my mo, dude. Uh, uh, well, we can. I can admit that I've been hating everything about my drumming for the past month. So that's that's fun. <laughs> that's super fun. Oh, welcome to the inspirational podcast with Mike and Mike. <laughs> After thirty years of practice, you will still suck. Yeah, uh, I, yeah. I don't think there's any. any or you any will magic think though. you do. The thing is, it's it's you know, it's just our own perspective of ourselves. But we're also always aware that if somebody that's been playing for a year saw either of us play, it, you know, the distance between us and them just because of the sheer amount of hours, they would think it's great. And that's why I go to Guitar Center sometimes. I sit down, <laughs> I rip chops, everyone pats me on the back, and I leave. It feels great. 
<laughs> I feel amazing. I hope you actually do that. <laughs> Could you imagine? Hey, how's it going? Do you have the uh, 2014 cover of Modern Drummer with my face on it? No, you don't still have that here? Well, let me remind you. <laughs> Gotta go. Oh. I do not do that. Mm. We, I created a Facebook page for the podcast. I don't know if you saw Shut that. Shut up. I made you an admin. So Oh, well, thank you, man. the invite. <laughs> okay. Sorry. I've <laughs> been a little off of social media lately. But uh, okay, I will check that out. So I appreciate we're gonna use that. that. Every week I'm going to post all the show notes and the links to videos and whatever relevant stuff that you may miss if you're only listening to this via the podcast app. So That's maybe awesome. some photos will links to the stories that are in the magazine that we're referencing um, I think it's also a good spot where you can use it to ask further questions for the things we talk about. Sure. I mean, we're not going to spend all day on there. It'll probably be here or there every you know throughout the week. But I think it's you know there's been a lot of requests for it, um, and I still want to use um, you know use that platform a little bit. See what happens. Yeah, I agree. I mean, the, the reason why the Mike's Lessons family Facebook page has not been shut down is because there are a few things that Facebook does really well, uh, mm-hmm. and. There, there. If, if and when it is used properly, it's a fantastic platform. Uh, so, I, I personally, I have the places that I go to on Facebook, like the pages and the groups that I'm a part of, and I just skip the main part. I skip the, the feed because that's mm. where the time suck happens. Yeah, right. And it's a time suck that's not beneficial. If I'm on the Mike's Lessons Family Facebook page for 45 minutes, but I'm soaking in content of my students, I don't feel like it's a time suck. I feel like, cool, I'm glad that I got to see those things. I'm keeping up on what's going on. Uh, it's great to get news from certain places, you know, certain drum companies that I follow that I'm probably going to be in the know about Gretsch, Meinl, Vader, and Aquarian, but I like to know what Remo's got coming out. I like to know what Tom is doing. They're always mm-hmm. making moves. So it's, I, I still think that Facebook has some value, uh, even though I don't use it super frequently. Personally, I'm still there checking it out. So that's great to hear. So uh, what is it called? Is it just, how, Modern, how do people find it? Modern Drummer Podcast with Mike and Mike. Just search oh for it. There it is. I think that the Boom. handle, I, had, I just shortened it to MD Podcast with Mike and Mike, but y- you can find it either way. Uh, awesome. And it's public. I didn't. I didn't want to lock it or anything like that. So we'll we'll test it. We'll see how it goes. If it gets out of control, maybe we'll put some kind of limits to it. But it's there. Cool. So go check it out. Follow it. Very um, cool. Very cool. All right. Well, so I, uh, I'm sure you know that uh, I've got because we're gonna have to schedule our podcast around. But I've got some stuff coming up. I'm headed off to Greece in a couple weeks to do that camp cool. with Chris Coleman. Uh, George Kalias, is that how you say his name? Oh, wow. Cool. Yeah. And uh, Derek Roddy. So uh, Dang, that should that's f- going to be a lot of double bass. Feet. A lot of feet. <laughs> uh, I'm pretty sure I know what my role is. Explain what everyone else is doing to the campers. <laughs> you got to bring uh, your nice fleece woolly beater. <laughs> yes. I, trust me, man. I will give you guys a, a little piece of advice. When the heavyweights come to the ring, get your yoga mat and be a pacifist don't don't try to you don't want to mix it up i've i've actually used chris coleman as almost like an adjective or as a a comparison when i'm talking to students that when we sit down and we i say okay let's trade some fills but let's be really cool about it let's try to inspire each other with what we're doing so one measure of groove one measure of fill if you hear me doing something that you like take it and go a little bit further with it if i hear you do do something cool i'll take it go a little bit further and then when I notice that they're trying to chop it up with me, I let them know right off the bat, just so you know, I'm friends with Chris Coleman. You will never impress me <laughs> <Yeah>. with that. <laughs> like, 
Chris Coleman will it'll end the story. So please just impress me with like taste and texture and touch and feel. But you're not going to impress me with that. I've seen it. I've had it just just dumped over me like a, a bucket of ice. Mm-hmm. You, you get you get so yeah. So I'm hoping that I'm assuming this camp will be very cool. Chris is one of the greatest people in our entire industry, so I'm sure it'll be really cool. And, uh, yeah, it'll be four days in Greece, uh, in Athens, uh, at, I'm so lucky, at a California dude ranch. What? Yeah. I'm not kidding, dude. That's kind of weird. (laughs) The one place I've always wanted to go in my life, and they take me back home. As soon as I saw the pictures, I was like, you know I live in historic old Folsom. I live in a gold mining town, right? Like, I live in the wild, wild west. I don't know why it deserves two wilds, but why is thanks, Will a, Smith. Why is there a dude, a dude ranch, ranch in Athens? <laughs> I don't know. It's kind of like, you know, I don't know. It's, it's Maybe it's like their Epcot Center where we just bring people from France and we're like, this is the Eiffel Tower. And they're like, really? I live in Paris. Oh, I don't so need to. Weird. So it, it, either way, it's going to be great. I mean, there's like, it's actually like a full-blown dude ranch. There's petting zoos and everything. So I'm, I'm kind of excited to see how it goes. Uh, but that's coming up uh, soon. And so we will maybe do two episodes in a week. But other than that, I'm just practicing for that. What do you have coming up? Let's see. What do I got? Uh, I'm still taking um, feelers for this Boston thing on the 8th of June. So if I got a couple responses that of interest. But if you're in the Boston area and you might be interested, it would be a paid uh, like intimate masterclass workshop on June 8th. Uh, I need to know because we need to confirm it or, or move on. So MD info at monodrummer.com. Uh, just say, Hey, yeah, I'm definitely interested in attending and then we'll, we'll know for sure in the next week or so. And then the week after that, I'm going to be at Chuck Levin's in Washington, DC for nice. a noon clinic in between gigs so that'll be i'm playing a gig on friday clinic lunchtime clinic on saturday and straight to another gig saturday night um, but that's that's june 15th that also will be a ticketed item so go to washington music center's facebook page i'm sure they have an event there chuck levin's washington music center get more info um yeah other than that it's, i've got a lot of I mean, it's summer festival season so tons of gigs i'm, I'm playing cool, with man. a uh, tom petty tribute band so i've got to learn a bunch of stan lynch vibe wow which would be fun i always think that tribute bands and cover bands are not really related tribute bands it's you have to go deep into the nuance yeah i'm gonna cover bands just just yeah just get the song down make people have make people dance you're all good i mean i've i've talked to a do you know tommy ricard yes of course okay so i've talked to tommy a few times uh you know i've one of his band's main gigs is walking distance from my studio. So I go there whenever I get a chance to see him play. And I remember he played Shake It Off, uh, or his band played Shake It Off by Taylor Swift. And they are a cover band, but they're an entertainment cover band. I mean, they I don't really know the numbers, but I know that they do really well packing places all over California. So anyways, and the drum part wasn't even close to Shake It Off. Mm. And Tommy could easily play that. Um, but it's a very specific drum part. So I, I talked to him afterwards. I was like, dude, shake it off. What was that? He was like, I've tried that beat and I can play it. He's like, I've tried it three or four times at different gigs. No one moves. No one once I put it. a, once I put a little disco beat underneath that entire song, people danced the whole night. Yeah. And so that mm. was really like the, oh yeah, you're in a cover band, not a tribute band. Yeah. That's a weird phenomenon. And, and I always have that issue when I, when someone wants to play like traditional rock and roll, like Johnny B. Good or something. And like I know the way that was recorded, and it's a shuffle, 
but I know no one wants to hear that. <laughs> they right, want it to right. be straight up and down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I had Absolutely. to like grit my teeth and just like, all right, let me play the, the cover band version of it. But with the Tom Petty thing, I'm assuming you'll be <laughs> listening to even the drum tones and all of that? Yeah, I mean, that's the challenge because we're covering, I mean, Tom Petty had so many hits throughout his discography and he had two really distinct drummers. So right. Steve Ferroni does not play like Stan Lynch. So I'm thinking I'm probably going to, if nothing else, swap out the snare, or I might just default and just go with the Stan Lynch sound, and because that that's such a it's such a distinct sound, the real dead sure. kind of thuddy sound. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's just a more fun style. I mean, I love Ferroni, but it's it's really kind of a like, like up the middle, minimal kind of style. So right. yeah, it's fun. I mean, I've been listening to that music my whole life, so it's it's not that difficult for me to get in that mode, but. Yeah, a couple. Now big, is this a is this tribute level where you have to actually dress the part as well? No, no. It's okay. we're taking more like the the Fab Faux version where just play the music as accurately as possible, but cool. just be yourselves, just be normal. Awesome. Well, talking about Tom Petty and those drum parts, let's talk about glitched beats. Uh, there's a new article in the Rock Perspectives uh, section yeah, in the current man. issue of Modern Drummer by Aaron Edgar about <clears throat> glitched beats, and I think this. If you if you already are glazing over and you're like, well, I don't even know what that is, so screw it. I'll tell you right now, don't think of it as glitched beats. Think of it more as beat displacement. And if that gives you a little something to hold on to, that's great. Uh, if you think about taking your basic, basic groove, as long as there's more than just one bass drum, uh, but maybe something like boom, got, boom, boom, got, boom, two, three. And you just shift that over. One, two, three, four. One, two, three. Four. Cool. I'm done. I landed that, and it's up to you, Mike. Take it on. <laughs> I'm so happy that that worked out good on take one. So, but, oh, but you know what I mean. Like I, I, at least for me, I think beat displacement was probably brought to my attention through Weckl. I remember him talking about it heavily, about saying that him and his bass player were in a basement when they were kids. They pressed play on their tape recorder of the recording they had just done, but when they pressed play, it was like starting the music on the end and then they couldn't stop hearing everything mm. displaced by an eighth note and it changed their perspective on music and that could be just random myth and lore but i remember that story very clearly and it it really helped me see things and like oh yeah i've i've done that before where a bass player started a groove and i couldn't hear that he started on the end so his and was my downbeat and yeah. i couldn't stop hearing it that way uh, and then you think, well, if that happens, if that's a phenomenon, maybe I can take advantage of that phenomenon and use it to my musical advantage later. You know what I've also noticed with that is sometimes you don't have to be that deliberate about it. It just sounds because because the person listening doesn't know where the one is. Mm. Like sometimes it just sounds weird. If you just start on the end of three, it, it just sounds weird to the person listening without even really being like, sure. we're going to make this sound weird. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, you know, <clears throat> obviously Rock and Roll by Led Zeppelin comes to mind, the intro yeah. of that, where it's so hard to hear it as anything than other than starting on the one. Um, there's a lot of guitar parts, too, where they just start. Yeah. And so you assume it's the one. And until the drums come in, you, you have this, uh, I think Gavin Harrison kind of coined the terms audio illusions. and. Mm -hmm. Because he has that whole book, is it um, rhythmic illusion it? and rhythmic, rhythmic perspectives? Yeah. I think the rhythmic two. perspectives, and um, and yeah, mm -hmm. and, and I really enjoyed his illustrations. Uh, I'm sure Aaron's like, thanks, guys. 
I did the article because you talked about me, but I really enjoyed Oh, we Gavin's, talk about Aaron a lot. <laughs> yeah. I, I enjoyed Gavin's way of doing it where he would write out the notation and then underneath that there'd be a, um, a picture of an ear and it would say, this is what it sounds like. You're playing oh, yeah, this, yeah. but this is what the audience is hearing. And I thought that was really cool. So talking about Aaron's article, um, just diving into displacement. listen to him do some of it first? I hate when you tell me what to do. <laughs> <laughs> it was your order. So, yeah, that gives you a perspective on what you're going to hear. And I think you're right. It depends on what you play before the glitch or before the displacement. As far as does it sound actually like something happened or does it just sound weird? Sometimes your displacements, it just sounds kind of cool. Sometimes what you play is so rock steady. And then when you displace it, it does feel like, wait a minute, something just happened. And you could eat all of you guys, just so you know, you could so easily do this. Play any groove you want for four bars. On the fourth bar, play that groove in 7-8. And then from then on out, keep playing the groove. And you'll be shifted over by one eighth note. So, And then you just have to know that you're going to have to add one extra eighth note. You'll have to play a bar of 9-8 to get back. But it's it's really quite a cool thing. I think that the best use for this stuff, though, is not... there's. Very few musical reasons to be like, you know what? How about our chorus? We just shift over an eighth note and make everybody stuck in the wrong spot. Uh, usually, it's more of just—it's almost like a fill. Yeah, I would. That's what I'd, I would do. Like at, at the end of a phrase. So I think yeah. we have to kind of define the difference between displacement and then what Aaron is defining as glitched. I don't could. Now here's a question: Can an eighth note displacement sound like a Glitch. So literally, the, the glitch meaning if a CD had a skip in it and it's like jumping to a different downbeat. <clears throat> mm. Could an eighth note displacement have enough of a jarring effect to give you that feeling like, whoa, something just skipped and we're now in a totally different? Uh, I think downbeat. it depends on how you've played it. I mean, obviously, the 16th note glitch feels more like a skip. An right. eighth note, because an eighth note, if you think about how the audience enjoys music, even when they're bobbing their head in quarter notes, they're bobbing their head in eighth notes because eventually their head has to go backwards to right. come forwards again. So whether they know it or not, they're feeling the downbeat and the and. And when you display something by an eighth note, all that's happened is now your your downbeat is where their head is going backwards. So right. your downbeat is where their upbeat is. With a 16th note, you damn near feel like you're going to fall down. Yeah. If we think about I'm Tweaked by Vinnie Caliuta, that is the... He did it so perfectly, we actually thought our CD was skipping. Yep. Yeah, because it was like, wait a minute, there's something wrong. And this I isn't right. I'm, I know it's in 4-4, four, four, but I cannot count 4-4 four, four through that that riff. Mm. I can't do it. Through the Vinny song? Yeah. I just know, yeah. I just have memorized the phrase, I, but I don't, I can't be like, yes, that's only so when he, of 3 or whatever. We'll just use the term glitches. When he glitches, that becomes a new downbeat for you and you know where that was. Not all of them. Like some of them, I hear okay. it as like a syncopation, but then there's just at some point, I'm like, okay, that, I've shifted. That just became my new downbeat, and I know it's right. not, but I've just memorized how it resolves, which is weird. Yeah. Well, I think <clears throat> one thing that I 
when I started working on this type of stuff in the 16th note realm, I had a really hard time shifting the groove. I actually just shifted the kick and the snare, but the hi-hat stayed in constant eights. Uh-huh. I had to have something, you know? So if I was playing that boom, ga, boom, boom, ga, then it became, oh, that was easy. But when my teacher said, no, no, you need to shift the whole groove. I was like, well, then I, well, what's locking me in? And my teacher's response was you, you right. have to have the pulse. And I was like, oh no, I think you've got the wrong guy here. <laughs> oh no, no, nay, nay. We shan't have that. I need something happening. Uh, and yeah, I mean, that can be a, a tough thing, <clears throat> and, but I will say this, everything in Aaron's article, this will help you guys internalize your pulse so, so much. It, you don't have to play everything you practice. Sometimes the things you practice are way beyond what you ever need to play, but they make the simple things you're playing so much more rock steady because of your exploration into rhythm and to displacement and to syncopation. Yeah, I think normalizing the E's and the U's is crucial, and I can't emphasize that enough when I'm teaching any student who's like, I want to improve my time. Well, it's not going to be your downbeats and offbeats. It's going to be the E's and U's that I know for a fact freak you out. <laughs> like, yep, absolutely. So can you sit on the E and U and, and have it just feel completely confident and comfortable? Because there's no reason it shouldn't. It's the same thing as an eighth note. It's just off by 16th. Man, I had such a hard time, I, and I would assume you probably, because we're almost the same age, you probably went through this in high school too, but I remember having to learn What is Hip for my high school jazz band by Tower oh, yeah. Power, yeah. and um, those single hi-hat hits, not too bad, not too bad, I went, I mean, I would drag that thing so bad it became a new, I couldn't hit one E and uh, 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 uh. You know, that that was tough for me. Just like having multiple E's and U's in a row. Yeah. So those things really freaked me out when I was much younger. And I I wish I would have really sat on that and understood, Okay, those I don't think they're harder. I think they're more unfamiliar. Those are the unfamiliar places in time. The downbeat and the and are the familiar places. I need to familiarize myself with the E's and U's just as much as pop music has done the other two for me yeah i think the big the big shift for me was not having the e's and us be like a rubber band that snaps back to the downbeat like mm, can they just yeah. exist on their own and can you be completely comfortable just playing e's yeah. and us and not thinking oh my god i have to resolve it soon or my teeth are gonna fall out you know yeah 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 no for sure for sure it's uh it's definitely um just to keep talking about what Aaron did in here, you know the Aaron Sterling videos. Um, when he's when he's talking about by the metric way, congrats modu- to Aaron. He won the Reader's Poll Award for his uh, Miss Masterclass. The oh, second that's part, awesome. Sounds of Third Lloyd Volume Two. Well done, well done, well deserved too. Well, in his metric modulation course, I thought he did a really cool thing where he built up the modulations one bar at a time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then two bars and then three bars. And then eventually he was in this new, this new tempo really. And I feel like the E's and the U's are the same thing. Get used to going one E, a two E, a three E, a four E, a one. Whoo. Breathe deep. Four, (laughs) one E, a two E, a three. And then eventually two bars and then three bars. And then can you just stay there? Like you said, can you just live with it and not resolve it? So, um, okay. So just to put a bow on this thing, 
this is one of those things where you almost have to see it and start to work on the notation. All of the notation is in the article, so please check out uh, Glitched Beats by Aaron Edgar in the Rock Perspective section of the current issue of Modern Drummer. That's the one with Marcus Gilmore on the cover. And read the article because he does a great job of explaining this stuff into someone that can handle displacements, glitched beats, chaos like no one else, <laughs> and probably has had a bigger influence on that world uh, or has had as big of an influence as anyone. Our featured artist this week is Mr. Matt Halpern from the band Periphery. Matt is a dear friend of mine. I would absolutely call him one of my brothers. And before we talk too much about him, let's give uh, his drumming a little bit of a listen. If you haven't seen this yet, it just came out on March 1st. Uh, there's a play along where Matt is actually just playing along to one of the new periphery songs called Garden in the Bones. It's on YouTube. It's only got 177,000 views. So let's, let's help him out here. Or um, Matt. But I think that clip. So listening to it, his drum sounds amazing. His playing is amazing. You kind of have to see him play as well. It's a it's a he's a very unique looking player. Yes. And, and I think in that genre, especially, which can can often be, I mean, I'm biased, but it can often look and sound kind of stiff and rigid. He's super loose. He's almost like Gumby on the kit. And I don't know how he can sound so precise and powerful and be really, really loose physically. And it's always been like that. I mean, he has a loose style, but it's weird for him to be that loose and have so much power. Mm-hmm. I mean, he has an insane amount of power, but without overexerting himself you know he's if you haven't seen the video he's playing this track in a hoodie he's not sweating how is that possible there is a comment that has 1,000 likes on it that says I bet anyone 100 grand that there's a v-neck under that hoodie if you don't know uh, if you don't know much about Matt just know that that boy loves some deep v's is he still still rocking the deep v's bro that's just his thing do you know how much of a rash he would break out in if a T-shirt touched anywhere near near his clavicle? Oh, that's hilarious! He'd be in he'd be in Jean Claude Van Damme trouble. I'm telling you right now. Anyways, Matt is also he's not just an amazing drummer, which we know he is, but he's also quite the entrepreneur. He gave us band happy. Oh, right. He's also, you know, so that was massive. And I remember the first time I toured with Matt. So Matt, myself, and J.P. Bouvet, we all met at the Minel Drum Festival, I think, in like 2012, 2013. It was a while ago. And we became instant friends. And then we eventually started doing the Common Thread Clinic tour together. And the first time we had ever toured together, Matt and I stayed up late on the first night and just started talking business and just the differences between Mike'sLessons.com and what Band Happy was, what Band Happy was going to be. Uh, I wasn't aware that Matt was as educated as he is, not just in business, but even in drumming. I mean, the dude really knows his stuff, and he is a wonderful explainer. But he he brought something to the world that the world hadn't seen before. He gave us touring clinics, meaning mm-hmm. touring bands, and the people you have zero access to, now you have access to them at the club during soundcheck. That was crazy. And it wasn't just drummers. It was guitarists, bass players, vocalists, full band clinics. So 
just that vision alone, amazing. Now he's got Get Good Drums, which is, you know, obviously like the place to get metal samples. So his business mind is out of control. Mm-hmm. His work ethic is out of control because I think Periphery is currently touring 500 dates per year. So more <laughs> days than there are in the year, they're doing that. I don't know how they've done it. Um, I think it's Saturday. It's, it's Monday through Sunday and then Periphery Day. So they're squeezing in one extra day per week. It's pretty epic. Periphery oh Day is an God. awesome day. I, would, yeah. I so, would physically last maybe three three shows playing that music. And my hands I mean, would be destroyed. My back my, would be yeah. destroyed. It'd be, I'd, be I'd be toast. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm assuming Periphery doesn't go on at 6 p.m. You know what <laughs> right. I mean? You're not, it's not easy days. <laughs> so like, well, I'll be in by 8.30 and get my crash fit in in the morning. Uh, the dude's bringing the heat. So the other thing is he's super driven. I mean, if you haven't followed Matt on Instagram, you always see him training, like physically training. Then he's doing this sample pack and he's out on the road with periphery. But I think the one thing that we need to talk about is just recently he had to switch to Pearl, which was a massive thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he kind of, a handful of people to me that kind of identified his former drum company. Um, Absolutely. And I'm sure it was no small decision for him to make the switch. Uh, what's he playing? A Pearl? Is it a refuge kit? It's beautiful. Whatever it is, it's freaking gorgeous. But um, in that video, and I think on most of the record, he's playing a snare drum that I wanted to call particular attention to because I think it's one that um, if you know, you know, and if you don't know, you're missing out. It's the reference series brass snare. Um, everyone that I know that owns that says it is their be-all snare drum, especially in a rock genre. It's a, Really? I think it has a similar like thickness as like a bell brass, but it doesn't cost quite as much as a bell brass. So Right. If you're looking for something that's that's definitively modern rock, um, definitely check out the six and a half by fourteen pearl reference brass snare. Um, I think just because it's called a reference series, people think, oh, it's just like a catalog item, but it's a special piece. It's heavy. It's a thick brass shell, and that's what Matt's using. Um, it's pretty. Well, distinct. it sounds it sounds absolutely amazing, and I mean that's the reason why Matt has his own sample pack is because he's always been known for having some of the best drum tones in the entire rock and metal scene. But the thing is the amount of impact he has had on the drumming world. A lot of people, unless they're into that world, don't even know that he was the drummer in animals as leaders before Matt Gartska was. So right. And then was, was Gartska in periphery at some point too? I don't think he was. Um, I'm not sure, but, um, but yeah, so Matt eventually left animals as leaders to be in periphery. And I mean, it, it's really it's kind of funny, you know, because he's such a good friend. I haven't done a deep dive on like, hey, what's your past like, bro? Like, I, I don't know. He's my bro. I, I don't care. But <laughs> as we were getting ready for this podcast, I was like, God dang, I forgot how much of an impact he's had on our industry. And I will say this. The way that I was alerted of his presence in the drumming world was through him being on the cover of Modern Drummer. I remember when he was on the cover of Modern Drummer. I was like, Matt Halpern, who is this guy? And then I checked him out. And then, I, God, it was probably only about less than a year later, we were sharing the stage at, at the Minel Drum Festival. And then I just was blown away. And a, a lot of it has to do with what you said in the in the very beginning. I was blown away that I was hearing this insanely intense power, but I wasn't seeing it, but it was still intense. You know, it wasn't, mm. 
I'm going to use my arms because it looks cool. It was everything was so efficient. But sometimes when you see, especially with speed metal stuff, because it's so fast, their movements are insanely small. Mm-hmm. When you see it, you're like, oh, wow, it's not quite as impressive as it sounds because everything's triggered. But with Matt, it was totally different. It was this fluid funk drummer playing metal, but with full intensity. You know, I wonder, I've never asked him, but I wonder if he checked out a lot of Morgan Rose because I feel like he's a guy from the earlier oh, generation yeah. that kind of Absolutely. exemplified that. Just complete bullwhip, loose limbs that yeah. amazing power. I think Morgan might have been the loudest drum clinic I've ever been to. And it wasn't it wasn't a bad thing. It was just overwhelmingly loud, like how powerful yeah. that dude was. But at the same time, it's like just these rubbery. Fluid. Fluid. Yeah, movements. very fluid. Well, uh, yeah, I, I think if you guys haven't had a chance to check Matt out yet, the good thing about checking out Matt Halpern is that you're not just going to get drumming. You're going to get somebody that is changing our industry, that is always active, that is always pushing things forward. So please do yourself a favor. Check out Matt Halpern. He's an incredible human being, and he's just a fantastic drummer. We're lucky to have him in the drum industry. And before we move on to our next subject, let's take a little bit more of a listen to Matt and his play along. sponsor Elisis for sponsoring the episode and also to give you an update on my uh, my deep dive in the new Strike Multipad. So I've got the unit here. So last week we kind of t- touched on the main features, um, so I don't want to you know repeat myself, but this week I wanted to just talk about the physical piece of hardware itself. Um, two things right off the bat that you can tell this was designed by a drummer who knows why multi-pads can sometimes suck. (laughs) So first of all, every piece of the front of it, aside from the the actual screen, is reinforced with rubber. So if you miss a pad and hit the frame, you're not going to shatter it, and you're not going to send a jolt of shock through your limbs. Subtle little thing. Like this, the part right by the screen is reinforced with rubber. Uh, I thought that was an awesome, you know, obviously a drummer thought of that having probably cracked a few multi-pads or right. you know, whatever. Um, on the front of it, it has two headphone jacks, so you can have the you know the smaller eighth-inch adapter that most of our in-ears have now, as well as the quarter-inch adapter. You don't see that on everything. And the headphone jacks are on the front rather than the back. I don't know why some pads have the jack on the back of the unit. That seems silly to me. Um, here's another subtle but really important thing you can't accidentally turn it off. If you hit the power button while it's on, like accidentally hit it, it's not going to turn it off. You actually have to hold the power button down. That's smart. So so you can't just accidentally shut down mid-show. What else should I talk about? So, yeah, I just kind of scrolled through. I mean, looking at the back of this thing, 
it's got a USB memory drive, so you can upload your own samples to it. It's got a USB MIDI slash audio interface connection, so you can you can run MIDI to your computer or audio out of this into your computer via that. It's got traditional MIDI in and outs. It's got left and right main out and aux out, so you can have two separate mixes on the output. It's got five trigger ins plus a hi-hat controller in, plus you can have stereo two stereo foot controllers. So this is becoming a full-on MIDI controller as well. So I'll dig more into that. But so far, highly impressed. I think it's that's a awesome. huge step up from... What's the cost again? Do you remember? That's a good question. I think it's like 700 bucks. I could be wrong. It's definitely very competitive. Um, and I just did a quick scroll through the preset kits. It's real deal. The sounds are really good. It's it's real samples. One of these drums, I think I actually might have loaned for a sample pack that's in here. <laughs> it might actually be my are drum. Are you serious? <laughs> wow. That's pretty cool. Yeah, so I'm really excited to take it into the studio and mess around with it. There's a couple kits in here that have melodic stuff. Like There's like a like major scales assigned to the pads. Oh, wow. As soon as I turned it on, that's, I'm like, I need to take this. For you. Yeah, I got to take this to the studio today. I was already inspired, and that's that's important for me to just be inspired by a piece of gear so that's the elisa strike multi-pad if you're looking for it it has six square pads plus three small rectangle pads on the top it's going to be a competitor oh and i forgot almost the most important thing again it's not super sexy i don't know if you can see this but i can't multi-pads the mounts are always really janky and this mount is full on. It's a multi clamp that can go into any cymbal stand. It's got a, a ball tilter, so you can actually angle the dang thing without having to build your own piece of hardware. So this is cool. Again, and it can, comes with that. Comes with this. Wow. Uh, maybe not, but it's available. <laughs> <laughs> you they, mean it came with it for you? They designed a mount especially for this, uh, which that's awesome. Again, lets me know a drummer built this thing which is super cool so that's the Lisa's strike multi-pad um, I gotta say just having that headphone jack on the front I know that's probably the least important thing but that does give your in-ears like an extra foot and a half right it's actually a big deal it's a huge deal because if I don't take my extension cable and I, and I yep. have to plug into it I'm like having to like lean to one side right right yeah, <laughs> yeah. no I, I feel awesome well everyone check that out it is on to more things that well this thing doesn't make sound, it captures sound. <laughs> so we're talking about the Aston Origin Spirit and Starlight microphones. Uh, did you use these in a bass drum thing we did? Yep. Yeah, we used okay. the Spirit in the uh, distance, the bass drum front distance shootout, I think. So, I mean, these, it looks like this company is on the scene and staying on the scene. I'd, I hadn't heard of them until you were using them, but uh, especially because of the price point, they seem like just that home run for people that need an affordable mic that's still a professional mic. Yeah, exactly. And they've gotten some real key um, artists using it. I believe Radiohead recorded some stuff with their mic. So it's a it's a British company. Um, they don't have a whole lot of options. It's it's basically like a simple catalog. You get a the Origin, which is you know a, a it's a large diaphragm condenser, but it's not huge, and it it has just one one pattern. So it just has the cardioid pattern. 
Okay. Um, then there's a, a more elongated one that's called the Spirit. That has the switchable patterns. You can go from Omni to, to Figure 8 to Cardioid. Um, and then the Starlight is small diaphragm condensers that work for overheads or hi-hat or spot mic on the snare, all kinds of stuff. So those three mics alone, um, I found I could get a great sound of the whole kit. I was using the Spirit primarily in front of the bass drum, which is what we used in our, I think that's the one we used in our shootout. The Starlight, amazing overheads. Um, They just sound good, and they also have some filter options where you can have it sound kind of darker and more vintage or more kind of high-end modern sounding. You mean on the actual microphone? Yep, there's just a switch. There's a three-position wow. switch. You can get like a darker vintage. You can get a modern, which has real kind of crispy high-end, or something in the middle. They call it hybrid. And what is the laser yeah, for? Is that so f- it has what a, is that? a built-in laser, which is for aiming the capsule, so you know exactly where the capsule no. is aimed. How which, has no one thought of that before? Yeah, it's pretty cool. So you can aim it. I was able to really get the center of the ride symbol in the crash to make sure that my, my symbols were in the proper spread. Um, one word of caution, don't leave the laser on when you start recording. I call, I had a terrible distortion. I couldn't figure out why. I thought my cables were bad. I'm like, what is going no. on? So the labor, at least in my studio, the laser was causing some interference with the audio. Um, it was driving me nuts. So what you just heard uh, was the starlights were used as overheads in that particular excerpt. They were a spaced pair. They were 46 and a half inches from the snare, one over the left side of the kit, one over the right side of the kit. Angled, they were facing straight down, but they were they were positioned in a way to where the left side was more over the rack tom, the right side was more over the floor tom. And then did you have the bass drum mic in that example? Yes. So the bass drum okay. mic in that example is the Spirit. It is, I believe, 20 inches in front of the bass drum. And that's it. There's just three mics, and I did. That is a fantastic drum sound. And there's no no processing other than just some basic limiting to keep the volume at a Oh, really? Consistent that's just, level. wow. No EQ. Well, those, those sound amazing. And, you know, when we, when we mentioned <laughs> that the Starlights were pencil mic or pencil condensers, I kind of had something else in my mind. When you see them, they're they're not that small. I mean, these are like legit mics. Yeah, yeah, they're not. Yeah, they're 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 not like um, teeny tiny little mics. They're they're pretty significant, and that did create a little bit of an issue when I was trying to do a close overhead position, like an X Y, okay, like an X Y on a stereo yeah. bar. Like they're just a little bit too long for some of the some of the positions that I wanted to do. You know, just just put them on two separate stands would be the best way to do it. Yeah, there. But I'm really surprised that that's not even processed at all. That to me, I'm not saying that that's like the studio sound, obviously. But I'm also coming from a perspective of a lot of online content and especially teaching. That your drums just had such a beautiful natural sound to them, with a tiny bit of EQ recipe and some compression. Your set, you know. Yeah, and I believe I had the modern setting, so there is a little bit more. I mean, there's a built-in EQ with a, like a little bit of a shelving in the high end, but. 
That's it. So they sweetenized it a little bit. A little bit, a little bit, a little, little bit. sugar. So I'm um, okay with that. The cool thing is you can get a matched pair of those that comes with the stereo bar for $9.99.99. So under 1000 bucks by one cent, you can get a pair of really high-end uh, pencil condensers. And then the kick wasn't that expensive, right? It was like the spirit, two ninety nine or three. The spirit, which which has the changeable switchable patterns. Oh, that's four nine four forty nine. Four forty nine. But the origin, which to my ear sounded just as good as the spirit, it just didn't have the flexibility. If you wanted to use a figure eight pattern as a room mic or something, sure. But that's two ninety nine ninety nine. So three hundred bucks for that as a bass drum mic, and then the thousand bucks for the the pencil condensers. You're getting high end professional sounding mics for thirteen hundred bucks. Which, might Which sound may like sound a like a lot. Yeah. <laughs> We're both like easy, everyone. But it's go not. try to yeah, go try to get a uh, a Neve Pre, and then just realize how insane this world can get. Yeah. Um, yeah. Awesome. Well, everyone, check out the Aston Origin, the Aston Spirit, and the Aston Starlight microphones. They, uh, I'm really impressed with those. All right, let's get into some listener questions. Are we going all audio? Yeah, let's do all audio. We've got I'm not three scared. audio questions here. Oh, by the way, the, the full review of the Aston mics is on moderndrummer.com. There's demos of everything in different positions, all three mics. The Origins is overheads. We just grabbed a tiny little chunk of it. That's all at moderndrummer.com. Oh, and to answer one listener's question, because I think last week I said you can access any, you know any new articles on the website, three new articles a month for free. And the question was, well, how do I get to them? It's everything. Everything that's on the website is stuff that is generated from the magazine. So you can you can dig into the site and various you know, education section, product reviews, features. You can get three full unedited articles per month for free. So there's awesome. not like a spot where you go like log into the June issue or something. It's just everything that's on the website is from the magazine. Beautiful. All right, All let's right. get into our first audio question. So who do we got here? Our first one, let's do, we got Ed. Ed Chisholm. Hi, Mike and Mike. Ed Chisholm here from the southeast of the UK. And I had a question or discussion point that I'd be interested to hear your views on. Uh, as a freelance working drummer, naturally I have to be familiar with a variety of different playing scenarios and genres of music and so on. And I'm fortunate that my original teachers all encourage me to play all kinds of music to prepare me for the variety of work which I'm now able to take on. My question is, do you think there comes a point in a musician's life or career where it's worth specialising in a particular area to take it to the next level? So rather than simply being able to get by as a bit of a jack-of-all-trades in a wide variety of playing scenarios, having a particular area of expertise in which to put most of our efforts. Uh, I love the variety of music that I'm able to play in my day-to-day life, but it's just something I've wondered about as I continue to try and take my music further and as I aspire to work at a higher and higher level. It occurs to me that pretty much all of the named drummers out there have a thing that they're best known for, uh, with the exception of the likes of Vinny, who just seemingly is just as at home whatever he's playing, but hey, that's Vinny for you. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on this as it's something that's been in the back of my mind over the last couple of years or so. Thanks as always. Uh, I've been loving the podcast since day one. I tend to listen as I'm setting up drum kits in my different schools throughout the week um and yeah all the best and thanks again i look forward to hearing your thoughts cheers he sounds like he might be from sacramento i wonder if i've run into him ed is he you from the dude ranch uh yeah uh ed great question this is something i think a lot of us have to face at some point in time because we do grow up trying to be a bit of a jack of all trades and be as well-rounded as possible and then there's two things that come into play here 
you might have a passion for something more than something else. And you might want to get known for something more than something else. I will say this when I am asked about a drummer, like if somebody says, Hey, I've got a gig coming up. I know you don't do that kind of stuff. Do you have anybody that you can recommend? They don't, when they say that, they also add in what the thing is. They'll say, it's, ah, it's, it's kind of like a busy fusion thing. Well, that doesn't tell me, well, then any of my friends that are good at the drums can do it. I have two or three guys in my mind right away in Sacramento that's like, okay, busy fusion. Yeah, you're going to want to call one of these two or three guys. Uh, and if somebody says, it's just simple pocket, well, that kind of eliminates a lot of people. And then I know a few people that they are truly passionate about that. I think the passion comes in more than anything else. Like, even though I know all of my jazz buddies could easily do a, a pocket session, are they passionate about it? Or would they be happier if it was a jazz session? So I think passion plays a big role in determining what you start to specialize in. Uh, but I also think, and Mike, you can speak to this. I think it's very important to be well-rounded if you want to be a working drummer that's making money through like, dude, I'll take whatever. If it pays 150 for the night, I'm, I'll take it. You know, blues, love it. Let's go. Yeah, I think my opinion is is from my own experience if i if i tried to be a specialist in something then i i wouldn't be doing what i'm doing i think how to explain this it's like putting the cart for the horse for me if i said i'm only going to be a jazz drummer well every playing situation i've had in the past 15 years has not been jazz so right. i think sometimes your career determines your specialty as a as you know like if you're just in a scene where the bulk of the work is whatever country well, then you're going to become a country drummer. You don't move to Nashville wanting to be a modern jazz drummer. Um, but that doesn't mean that those guys in Nashville can't play all these genres as well. So my philosophy is do it all, um, but find what you're really best at, but not to the detriment of never exploring the other stuff. Like for me, I found a lot of value in having a classical background and a jazz background because those shaped my musicianship in a way that I can morph into a lot of different genres. If I only would have been a double bass extreme metal drummer, there's no way I'd be getting theater gigs or singer-songwriter sessions and things like that. I wouldn't have developed a touch in the musicality for that. Right. So, you know. I'm and I think, I, think your, I think your future is yet to be determined because you just recently let the world know what your passion was within the last two years of your Instagram playing. I've never seen you play theater stuff on Instagram. You've used Instagram as an outlet for your own personal art. And we we haven't gotten to the place yet to know what that's going to do. There might be a place a year and a half from now where you've kind of gotten so well known for that. You're starting to get bigger gigs in that world. And all of a sudden, you and Richard Spaven are kind of crossing paths with different gigs. So we don't really know what it's going to do yet because you just made that declaration. We do know that people love seeing you do it, which is awesome. And we just have to wait and see if that trickles down into other things. But I, I totally agree with you. If I didn't have teaching as my main thing that I just sunk all my chips into, I definitely would not be still doing the rock thing that mm. some people refer to it as. You still doing the rock thing? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, you can see my lip piercing. Hell yeah, I'm still doing the rock thing. But <laughs> but yeah, so 
it, I would definitely still be doing what I was doing before I decided to put everything into this, which was being as well-rounded as possible. I mean, how many times have I talked on this podcast about my, you know, not liking jazz yet? I can read a jazz chart right now because I still keep up on that stuff because I one, I have to teach it, but I just like being well-rounded. I don't want to think like if worst case scenario, if my buddy Tim Metz, who's like our main jazz drummer in town, if Tim called me and said, dude, I have the flu. Can you please cover this jazz gig? Just get them through the night. I feel 100% confident. I will get you through the night and you will not lose your gig. (laughs) At no point will they be like, we wish we had him on drums, but at no point will the song fall apart. I will get us through because I've kept up on it. I still work out of, you know, John Riley's books and so, so yeah, I think being well-rounded is something. If you want to be a working musician, you need to be well-rounded. Yeah, and, and I think I think what you said is right. You, your career will kind of determine your specialty. I'm sure Steve Jordan had a lot of plans early on, and then he's like, "Man, that's like my ninth straight-ahead pop R&B gig in the last month." Yeah, I uh, mean, maybe I'm getting known for this. I think he's a good case where he was going to be a tempest. That's what he wanted to be. He, I mean, how many really? times has he played? Timpani? I did not know that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I think I think the fundamentals of good musicianship and good drumming go, they traverse every genre, every style. So as long as you're always refining your time and your feel and your sound and your touch and your vocabulary and listening to new music. Yeah. I mean, aside from like really modern jazz where you kind of have to devote your life to it, I think you can get through just about any gig otherwise. In my opinion. Boom. There you go, Ed. Hope that helps, brother. Uh, on to Zach Var. All right. This is Zach. Hey, Mike and Mike. My name is Zach Var. I live on the big island of Hawaii. Obligatory thank you so much for everything that you guys do for the community and for drummers everywhere who just want to geek out on gear that we probably can't afford. At least I'm speaking for myself. And I very much appreciate the fact that people who I look up to are so open about struggles that they have. I just think it's an amazing thing you guys are doing. Now on to my question slash conversation starter. I'm going to try to keep this brief, but it's kind of long to explain. I see artists using snare drums as their first floor tom. I see some brands coming out with 14 by 10 inch snare drums that have floor tom legs. Yeah, I said diameter first. Finger point, though you can't see it because it's audio. I don't know why I did that. I also see brands coming out with 15 by 8 inch snare drums. And I know neither of them are going to be able to emulate a floor tom exactly, but what do you think could achieve a better tone for someone going for that? A deeper 14-inch or a little bit shallower, but still not really shallow because it's still 8-inch deep, 15-inch snare drum. The conversation starter that I have is I have no idea how they achieve this. Are they still using a 3-millimeter snare side head? Do they have that crank like you'd normally do for a snare drum so it's a little bit more responsive for when they turn on the snares do they use a coated ambassador or any other 10 millimeter single ply head it is all very confusing and i would love any kind of advice towards this because it just sounds like a whole lot of fun and if you guys have never done this before and you don't know how to answer this it is totally cool too and i appreciate you both Thank you so much. Don't know how to answer it. Zach, bro, you were at camp. You know I've got an answer for everything, even if it's BS. Come on. Uh, Okay, first of all, let's correct him and help him because you and I went through this on the podcast in our very early days. 
these are not 10 millimeter thick heads. That would be an extremely thick head. Yes. What is a mil? Is it a one thousandth of an inch? Yes, one thousandth of an inch. So yes. Okay. 10, so we'll, so, so that would be one tenth of an inch, right? If 10 mil. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. We were doing good. Why no. do you don't bring up that questionable tone? So anyways, guys, a mil is a thousandth of an inch. So it's 10 mil, and we're going to leave it there. It is not millimeters. And I, like I said, I believe that I made that mistake. I just always said millimeters. and then, But I had never thought about it. And then Chris Brady from Aquarian called me. He's like, dude. You know how thick a 10 millimeter head would be? I was like, oh yeah, that would be uh, like a piece of cardboard. A um, yeah, <laughs> that'd be a lot. So, anyways, uh, moving on. Uh, since you have a ton of experience with 15 inch snare drums, uh, my assumption without having experience would be a 15 by 8 would be able to produce a lower fundamental pitch than a 14 by 10. What is your ex- What does your experience tell you? Yes, I think either one. I think. Well, if I was going to pick one, I would say a 10 by 14 is going to feel and more like a floor tom than an 8 by 15. Okay. Uh, that's what I would do. And and I I think all this is kind of stemming from guys and girls buying old marching drums and putting them in the floor tom position. So you can find used like old marching drums all day long for, for pretty cheap. Yeah. Um, and that's what I did. I just bought a bunch of, you know, old Ludwigs and things and used them as floor toms. So... Sonically, um, it's not going to sound exactly like a floor tom. It's going to be definitely less resonance because the bottom head has to be a normal snare head and it has to be tuned significantly higher than you probably would a floor tom. Um, That said, you throw some muffling on it, throw a big fat snare drum on it or something like that, it's going to sound thuddy like like what everyone is doing with their floor toms anyway. Um, Right. So you can get a pretty convincing sound. I wouldn't, if you're only going to use that the snares on like once a gig, I don't think it's worth it. But if it's going to be part of your sound, um, you can get a convincing floor time sound. And you know what? Don't put it in the floor time position or put it put it to the left of the hi-hat or put it as where you would put a second floor time. So you have your normal floor time and then follow that with the converted snare drum. That would be my suggestion. I still think in the end of the day, you have to play the gear that you're hearing in your head. And if, if you're moving around the kit to the right of the kit, so from snare to rack, and as you're getting to the floor, you're in your head saying, God, I wish I had, I heard, then put a snare there. But don't do it because you're seeing other people do it. Zach, you are a super, I mean, I got to spend a week with you here at camp. You're a monster player. Uh, you're a hilarious dude. You're a monster player. You're, but you're also a very hip player. So I think this question is perfect for you. I know that you're not chasing what other people are doing and you don't know why. I know that you do hear hip modern drumming in your head all the time. I would just say if you're hearing it as a backbeat thing, keep it on your left, just like Mike suggested. If you're and and a lot of people do that. I mean, that's why I have a side snare. So I have two sonic options. But if you're hearing it as something that fits into the middle of your improvisational stuff and your fills, or if you're hearing a right hand snare pattern that's too hard to cross over your body to your side snare, then that's where it should go. And I think you also have to prioritize what's more important to you in that spot: a floor tom or a snare drum. If it's if it's a floor tom, then 
you know, you can do whatever you want. But if it's a snare drum, do not mess with, do not go to a regular single ply ambassador style head on the bottom. You will get almost no snares coming through whatsoever. And you can get the snare plenty low to fake a, a floor tom. Trust me, once people are 20 feet away from your drum set, no one's going to yell out, is that not a floor tom? Like it's it's going to do its job. So, uh, but yeah, I would say as you're playing around the drum set, listen to your inner drummer voice and whatever you're hearing. Make sure that you build your kit around that. I always use the example. The reason why I don't have a 20 inch china on my kit, it's not. Thank you, Juno. Juno. Juno hates 20 inch chinas. Um, That's why you don't. Because she says, uh, uh-uh, veto. She, she says, nay, nay. Uh, but it's it's not like. Juno! <laughs> come here. <laughs> Juno, come here, sweetie. Come here. Um, she's just trying to protect the studio. But it's not like <laughs> Mino wouldn't send me a 20-inch china. It's because I don't hear one in the first place. So mm. I don't have one on the kit. So play whatever you hear. All right. Let's go on to our third and final audio question. All right. It's Brian. Hey, guys. It's Brian here from London, UK. I'm 39 years old, and I started playing drums when I was 16. And I remember even back then when I was playing that after having a session on the drums, I felt totally amazing and like I was having some meditational experience just from the reaction of playing drums and the rhythm and everything. And uh, just last week when I was playing, um, I walked past the mirror and I was kind of purple in my face and I thought, wow, I'm having some sort of spiritual reaction here just you know playing the drums and I feel like I'm high and don't need to take drugs I can just go play the drums and I feel amazing um, and then I realized that actually it's uh, not really because of the rhythms it's just because I'm not breathing that I feel like I'm just on another spiritual plane uh, so I've never been able to breathe properly and in time while I'm playing the drums uh, and it's not something that I've ever been taught. So have you got any tips for people like me who, number one, when we play drums, we're not on the verge of dying? And um, how do you breathe when you are playing drums? Do you have to breathe in time? Um, are there examples of athletes, the way that they breathe? Um, so, yeah, how are you supposed to practice your breathing while you're playing and is it something that you're conscious of or is it just something you do naturally uh, being a male and not capable of doing two things at the same time um, it'll be really useful to get your advice thank you all right so how do we attack tackle that one um well f- first of all do you breathe in time consciously <clears throat> you personally not anymore but there was definitely a time when i realized i wasn't breathing while I was playing and it was causing more than anything anxiety, like just yes. edginess. So I, I did start thinking, okay, maybe not on the gig, but when I'm just practicing, let me try breathing in for four measures and out for four measures. See how that feels. Is that too, too long, too short, two measures, one measure. Um, it was mostly an exercise to get me out of overanalyzing when I'm actually playing and focusing more on the breath. So med- it's a more of a meditation. Um, but at this point, I don't really think about it. I just try to not hold my breath. Um, if you watch Mark Giuliano play, you see he exhales whenever he gets into some real kind of intense stuff. So I'm sure he could weigh in at some point 
because he that's like one of his I can tell when he puffs his mouth out and starts breathing like exhaling like he's going to play some stuff (laughs) right yeah yeah that's one of his maybe a subconscious strategy to not hold his breath while he's playing yeah I'm, I'm similar to you there was a time where I did and now I don't have to and it's similar to counting I used to have to count everything out and I did it so much that I don't count anymore I know where those placements are uh, I will tell you this, just from recently learning how to lift properly uh, with my coach, he he gets really mad at me if he sees me exhale at the wrong point in time because your body collapses as you exhale. So I would use that to my advantage in the opposite way with drumming. If I want to be relaxed, I got to make sure I'm not holding my breath. My mm. whole body is tight as I'm holding my breath. And if you're holding couple hundred pounds over your head hold your breath because you will turn into a loose little piece of spaghetti as you exhale Uh, i I can exhale once i drop the weights opposite on the drums i want to make sure that i'm having you know nice deep exhales uh right now i'm in the middle of filming the i'm refilming all the hand speed courses on mikeslessons.com and one of the things that i say throughout every exercise like we're playing for maybe uh, a specific exercise for maybe a minute and a half and I'm looking straight into the camera saying, guys, don't forget to breathe. And I've had so many of our students write me about that one specific tip. They say that every time I say that, they notice they were holding their breath. Mm. Because you have to imagine if you're on that hand speed course with me, I'm pushing you to the furthest that your hands can go. Whether it's double strokes at literally 60 BPM. If you're brand new, that's fast for you. These people are holding their breaths. And I've, get, I've gotten so many emails where like, thanks for reminding me to breathe. I didn't know that I wasn't breathing until you said it. So maybe it's something, honestly, buddy, that you just have to. Was that Brian that just answered, yep, asked that? That was Brian. Yep. Brian, uh, maybe it's something that you just have to write the word "breathe" on your snare drum, and every time you look down, it'll just remind you to breathe. It, it just takes some simple reminders, and like Mike said, eventually it just becomes second nature. Dig it. So we could use. We have a, we have some non-audio questions to answer next time. But if you want to send us your your voice memo, send it to mdinfo at moderndrummer.com. It's super cool to hear. I love that stuff, man. To the show. I love it. Absolutely. Uh, so, And send your intro and outro beats, too. We love those, and it's just so great to get you guys involved. Please, also, if you are someone where we use your audio question or if we use your intro and outro beat, please take the podcast, chop it up, and share it. Let people know. I mean, you should be proud like that you're on this podcast that has over a million downloads. That's insane. So really cool stuff, uh, especially on an episode like this where my microphone is frontwards <laughs> please share this one <laughs> uh in all honesty though you guys are more than welcome to chop any little nugget out of these podcasts that you feel would benefit somebody share that stuff it, it helps the podcast obviously that goes without saying but uh this is not anything that if you share we come after you we would love for you to just spread the word of what mike and i are trying to do here and keep you guys in the loop of this world all right now it is time for picks of the week do you have one, sir? I do. Mine is uh, it's another video by our our friend at Creative Sound Lab. So if you don't subscribe yeah. to Creative Sound Lab on YouTube, you're missing out on a lot of really good uh, practical and sometimes just kind of kooky, crazy experiments on recording drums. And the one he put up on May 15th, I felt like I, he taught an old dog a new trick. So he's messing with... Really? Um, his approach to setting the overheads to get a all-around drum sound that'll work in any any genre, any style. Um, 
and one, you know, a bunch of different things. The thing I want to call out is he actually, so he, he determines the pattern first. So X, Y pattern or whatever. Then he goes to the height of the mics, which then factors in how much room ambience versus stereo separation. And then the, the element that I've never thought about is he talks about the angle of the mics. Like how are they aimed to get maybe a little bit more floor tom or maybe a little bit more rack tom without throwing the snare off center. So there's a couple of positions that are really extreme, but because the mics are aimed at the center of the snare drum, it doesn't screw up the, the natural spread of the kit. So anyway, it's called No Fail Drum Recording, Any Kit, Any Room, Any Genre by Creative Sound Lab. Um, it's a it's a relatively short little course on overhead placement to just get a nice general drum sound. Uh, this guy's work is great. I love it. Awesome. I, you know, one of the things that I really appreciate, too, is a lot of times he demos gear without any bias. And I really appreciate things like if he's showing off the Abbey Rhodes reverb stuff, it's like, OK, cool. Like, that's an expensive plug in. I don't know if I want to buy it. And I and I know that he's giving it a very non-biased review. So it's great educational stuff, great reviews, and um, and just an awesome personality for education as well. I really enjoy his stuff. All right, my pick of the week this time is very simple. It's just the new Billie Eilish album. It came out this year in 2019. If you guys don't know who Billie Eilish is, just imagine if Lord was off her meds. Um, that's Billie Eilish I don't know how else to say it the girl's kooky is all hell but I just absolutely love her work and it's insanely deep music for how young she is similar to Lord uh, and the one thing that I like is it's very hip so a lot of it can be drumless and it, it a lot of it just has like a really simple drum machine pattern in it so these are great play along songs for you as well uh, so the album is called When We Fall Asleep Where Do We Go by Billie Eilish Check it out, and uh, I think you guys will have fun with that one. We have a feature on her drummer coming up soon, so we'll, we'll be digging into that more about how he, tra- you know, translates all that production into the live show. Uh, I would, I can't wait to to read it because uh, and to feature him because yeah, she's she's amazing and she's completely in control and out of her mind at the same time and it's just it's everything i love about yeah. music and she's art, a freak so. there's there's a video that i that i had to watch a few times where at the end of one of her songs she's just starts singing what sounds like just just nonsense just singing sounds okay. and then someone had realized that she's actually singing the chorus backwards so they re- shut up so they reverse the video and then it's a perfect backwards version of the chorus so she learned how to sing the melody completely backwards yeah she's pretty amazing like the lyrics are the words are backwards wow yeah it's free that it's free show stuff yeah (laughs) she's really she's amazing she's she's a great artist and i think uh you know between her lord and uh a couple other female artists i think when they're all in their late 20s and early 30s just becoming full-blown artists. I think we're going to be in good hands. So everyone check that out. Thank you guys so much for listening to the podcast. If you get a chance, please head on over to iTunes and give us a five-star rating and write a review. Those things really do help other drummers find this podcast and that helps us. So do we have an outro groove? We do. We have an outro groove and it is David. I can't pronounce your last name, name, David. Sorry. <laughs> Don't worry, buddy. That's my middle name, David. Michael David Johnston. So I am happy for you. Your outro groove sounds dope. Ooh, yeah. 
Dope Snare. <laughs> oh, don't forget, follow the new uh, Modern Drummer podcast on Mike and Mike Facebook page. I will it. too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Later, buddy. <laughs> yeah. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.